0: This evening's reading is from Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, starting at verse 13. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. With man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, We have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. This is God's word.
1: Father, we have sung that you alone can rescue, you alone can save. And so as we come to hear your words, our Savior God, we pray that you would open our eyes, that we might see wonderful things in your law. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So money and happiness have a strange relationship. Not many of us think that money is the key to happiness. Not many of us think that. You just have to read interviews with the super rich and see the the chaos in their lives often. You don't think that if only I had that, then I'd be truly happy. And yet at the same time, it's a bit more complicated. Only a couple of weeks ago um, in The Telegraph, there was an article published entitled, Money Really Can Buy You Happiness. They'd done some scientific research, I don't know how you do these things, scientific research that said money can buy you happiness. That is, in our busy lives, those who spend their money on time-saving things apparently are more happy ...than those who don't. Any product or service that saves you time... ...apparently that's how you can be more happy. Scientifically they did some research that showed this. And so um, those who could afford to um, pay for a cleaner... ...or those who could, for example, pay to spend an extra 15 minutes in bed in the morning... ...and get someone to drive them into work. They were far happier. And you may think, yes, I would be far happier if I had that. Because the truth is that, well, we don't think that money itself is what can make us happier... The things that money buy, they can. That is, we we want the comfort that money can buy, or we want the status that money can buy, or we want the experiences that money can buy, or the security that money can buy. And if we have those things, well, then we can be happy. In our passage today, did you notice that Jesus encounters a man who had great wealth, and yet he goes away sad? A man had great wealth, And yet he went away from Jesus sad. For him, riches were no guarantee of happiness. In fact, Jesus says this man misses out on eternal life, eternal happiness with God forever. And he misses out now on the rich joy of the Christian church being part of God's people. And so my hope this evening as we come to these verses is that none of us would go away sad. None of us would walk away from Jesus tonight sad Clinging on to our wealth, clinging on to our money. And instead would take hold of what Jesus offers, eternal life. Now we're in the section of Mark's gospel, the central section, chapters 8 through 10. And the big question is, what is discipleship? We've been seeing that week by week. The the controlling verse really is chapter 8, verse 34, where Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, And follow me. And we've been seeing how Jesus applies that to various areas of life. And this evening we'll be focusing mostly on verses 17 to 31, where Jesus explains how being a disciple and taking up your cross and following him, how that relates to money. There are three important lessons to to teach us about, Jesus has to teach us about discipleship and money. You'll find them on your sheets on the back. From verses 17 to 22, you must choose between money and Jesus. From verse 23 to 27, the rich can't enter God's kingdom. And in verse 28 to 31, it's the poor who are truly rich. So we'll work through those three sections together. So firstly, looking down at verses 17 to 22, you must choose between riches and Jesus. The encounter begins with a man who looks like the ideal religious seeker. So look down at verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I mean, this is a sort of evangelistic opportunity we all wish for at work, isn't it? He comes up eagerly. He's, on his, he's running to Jesus. He comes up respectfully. He's on his knees. He, he comes expectantly with a great question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus what do I have to do to to get into heaven? What do I have to do? Which is a great question. I mean, the man is concerned with the ultimate thing. How can I get eternal life? He's not just come for for chat about the the start of the football season or thinking about, you know, is the bake-off going to be better on Channel 4? He's not thinking about those sorts of things. It's the big question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a great question. And at this point, aren't we expecting Jesus to to explain the gospel and win another follower for the kingdom? And yet look what Jesus says, verse 18. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Jesus begins his answer by getting the man to reevaluate what he thinks of what is good. It's a strange way to start, isn't it? See, the man calls Jesus good teacher. The, the word used for good is, is a, a word that has depth to it. It's intrinsic goodness. Good down to your very core. And Jesus says, well, no one's good. No one is good except God. That is, if you ran a, a purity test on God, it, it would have... Contains no traces of impurity. He is completely good, down to his very core. Him and him alone. He is good. Jesus begins his answer in a strange place by talking about goodness. Now, now we generally think of goodness as something that's relative. That is, I'm better than him. I'm much better than her. I'm not as good as him. That's how we think in terms of goodness. Goodness. Because we know deep down, we're not perfectly good, absolutely good, down to the core good. But relatively, we think of ourselves as good. We we draw a line somewhere in the middle and say, good people on this side, bad people on that side. And so you put all the the really bad people, you put the the rapists and the murderers in the bad side, and you put the the really good people, you know, the the Gandhis and Mother Teresas of our world on the good side. And we just about sneak our way in over the good line wherever we draw it. But Jesus says, no one is good. No one is good except God alone. Only God is good. So why does Jesus start there in his answer? Well, I think it's because the man thinks that it's goodness that gets you into eternal life. Just look at the way he phrases the question back in verse 17. What must I do to inherit eternal life? That is, what's, what's the stand I've got to reach? How many steps have I got to climb? What have I got to do to get eternal life? And the way Jesus answers in verse 19, where well, he gives him a list, you know, the commandments. He starts listing them. Implication, have you kept them? Are you good enough? Are you good enough for eternal life? But if goodness is the qualification for eternal life, this man has a problem. He has a big problem. Because if only God is good, then... Well, how's he going to get eternal life? If only God is good, none of us make the cut. None of us can walk into heaven on the basis of our own goodness. But that's where Jesus starts. And look how the the man replies in verse 20. He's very keen. Teacher, he declared, all of these I've kept since I was a boy. Now, I've no doubt that the man sincerely thinks it's true. Externally, by the standards of the day, he's a good, good guy. He's kept the commandments. He thinks he's good enough. But then, what Jesus does in verse 21 exposes the man's lack of goodness. He, he presses his finger down on the point that exposes his lack of goodness. Look down with me at verse 21. It says this Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Do you see the issue? This man loves his money far more than he loves Jesus. The man loves his money more than he loves Jesus. He'd rather keep his money than have Jesus. He chooses money, not Jesus, and then sadly, tragically, turns and walks away from Jesus and from eternal life. Idolatry is when something other than God has supreme value in our lives. Idolatry is when something other than God has supreme value in our lives. The reformer John Calvin would talk about how our hearts are like idol factories, pumping out idols again and again and again, like a production line in our hearts that keep on producing them over and over and over again, giving other things supreme value rather than God. It could be a person who we worship, whose approval we live for more than God, whose opinion matters more to us than God's. Or it could be a thing that we worship, something we desire more than we desire God. Our our choices, our life priorities point to that thing rather than to God. A thing, for example, like money. And you see, this man, what Jesus presses down on is the fact that at heart, he's an idolater. That is, he he loves money more than he loves Jesus. And so the man is not good. You see, the, the first commandment rejects idolatry. The first commandment of the Ten Commandments have no other gods before me. Or the great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Yeah, this man loves money, his wealth, more than he loves Jesus. So he goes away sad. What's the implication here, here for, for people who want to follow Jesus? What's the implication? You must choose between riches and Jesus. You must choose between them. That is, riches can't have supreme value in your life or mine. They can't be first place. Jesus must have supreme value if we want to follow him. That is, when it comes to denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following Jesus, that reaches down as far as our wallets. You must choose between riches and Jesus. Now look, clearly, Jesus does not want us to go home tonight and to put every single item of clothing and every single possession we have on eBay sell sell the lot and then just go and live destitute on the streets we know that because for him to follow Jesus Jesus is physically there and so to follow Jesus to the cross he would have to walk next to Jesus side by side along with all the other disciples that's what following Jesus would look like for us if we went and sold everything on eBay and lived on the streets What would that look mean following Jesus is like? He's not here with us right now physically. It just wouldn't make sense. So Jesus is not saying that. And yet the heart issue is still precisely the same. The heart issue is precisely the same. Jesus must have supreme value in our lives if we want to follow him. Supreme value even over our money. You can't have Jesus as your number one unless you choose not to have money as your number one. Jesus must have supreme value. Which leaves us with some slightly uncomfortable questions to ask ourselves. Questions which strike very close to our hearts often. Questions that do affect what we spend our money on. Let me mention two questions. One, will you still follow Jesus when it makes you worse off financially? Will you still follow Jesus when it makes you worse off financially? It could be an ethical decision at work that might affect the bonus you get at the end of the year. Or it could just be the the more day-to-day regular giving to church. Will you still follow Jesus when it makes you worse off financially? This man, he wasn't prepared to. Jesus took supreme value. Excuse me, money took supreme value over Jesus. But another question, and this comes from chapter 8, verse 34. Remember, Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. So when it comes to our money, day-to-day spending, is there a a, a cross shape to what we spend our money on? Is there a cross shape to what we spend our money on? That is, is the way we spend our money, is it an act of self-denial in order to serve Jesus? Or is it an act of self-fulfillment? In order to serve me. Is the way that we spend our money day to day. And the decisions we make in our lives. About where to live. What job to do. What we prioritize. Is it to make us useful for following Jesus and his kingdom? Or is it about fulfilling ourselves? That's the challenge. That's the the heart of the the passage at verse 21 and and 22. Now this the man's face fell. He went away sad. Because he had great wealth. He wasn't prepared to, to deny himself at this point and follow Jesus, and he went away sad. You can't choose both riches and Jesus. You must choose between them. That's point number one. Lesson number two the rich can't enter God's kingdom. Look down with me at verse 23 to 27. Let's read through those verses. Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Do you see the point Jesus makes three times? How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom, verse 23. How hard it is to enter the kingdom, verse 24. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The rich can't enter God's kingdom. Now, in case you missed it, Jesus is being deliberately ridiculous in the metaphor he uses about camels and eyes of needles. Camels cannot fit through the eye of a needle. It's impossible. I don't care what camel you get and what eye of the needle you choose to get. Camels do not fit through the eyes of needles. No one who heard Jesus is thinking, if we just managed to find a small enough camel, if we just managed to find a really flexible camel, if we just managed to apply enough pressure, we could force it through. No one's thinking that. It's impossible. Camels do not fit through eyes of needles. It's impossible. The point Jesus is making, it's impossible. Impossible for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It's not just tricky or going to take a bit of effort. It's impossible. Now, do you notice the the disciples' reaction as he goes through? So the disciples are amazed. In verse 24. In verse 26, the disciples were even more amazed. And their question, who then can be saved? Who can be saved? If the rich can't be saved, who can be saved? Now, that question doesn't really make much sense to us. Because in our heads, normally, um, in the media, often, the rich are portrayed as the bad guys. So if, if you're rich, you're a rich and immoral person. You're a, uh, the Philip Greens of this world, a rich person who, who uses their wealth to flaunt it and to show it off and to, to be immoral. Often that's what we think. But remember, the man in the story, he, he's not like that. He's not rich and immoral. He's not the bad guy. This man is a good person. Verse 20 All these I've kept since I was a boy, at least he thinks he's a good person. He's not a, a bad person who everyone's booing when he arrives to see Jesus. He's, he's a rich person. And you know in the Old Testament, often riches seem to be a sign of God's blessing. Another gospel account says the man was a ruler, so he's prominent in the religious life of the area. His sincere answer to Jesus' words about the commandment shows that his life is upright. The man is not rich and immoral. Instead, he's a rich and moral man. And as he arrives, everyone's thinking, there's someone who's got God's blessing that rich person, he must have God's blessing. And so when Jesus says he can't enter, they're going, who then can be saved? If this man can't get in, who else has a chance? He's a good man. He's a rich man who has God's blessing. Who can get in? And Jesus confirms that in verse 27. Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. With man it is impossible who can be saved Jesus answer with man it's impossible Just let that sink in Jesus answers the question who can be saved is with man it's impossible you can't get in It's extraordinary it's impossible for a rich person to enter God's kingdom and it's impossible for anyone to enter God's kingdom if that man can't get in None of us stand a chance doesn't matter how good you are, whether you are the, the Gandhis and Mother Teresas of this world, who can be saved? With man it's impossible. No one can get in. But it makes sense if we remember back to verse eighteen where Jesus said, No one is good except God alone. See, if eternal life is about getting into be with God forever. None of us are good enough. We don't make the cut, no one is good except God alone. No one can enter God's kingdom because no one is good enough. How can bad people like us, our hearts endlessly producing idols, how can we ever get in by ourselves? With man, it's impossible. None of us can get in. Now, that may come as a surprise to you if you're here tonight and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. You've come along to church, perhaps hoping that you'd find, how, how do I get to heaven? How can I be with God? And Jesus says, It's impossible may not be the answer you are expecting. And even if you are a Christian, the, the stark nature of Jesus' words might come as a shock. Like the disciples, maybe you're amazed. I thought I was going to heaven, and now Jesus is saying, well, with man it's impossible. Except that's not all he says. Look at the second half of verse 27. With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. What is impossible for us to do is possible for God to do. We cannot enter the kingdom. We can't do it, but God can get us in. I think the best way to illustrate this is to go back to the previous little section in verses 13 to 16. Some people have been bringing children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. And the disciples have got a bit annoyed, as they do sometimes, and they've got it completely wrong. Jesus says, let the children come to me. And then verse 15, look down. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. That is, if you want to get into the kingdom, you have to receive it like a little child. It's impossible with man, but it's possible with God if you receive it like a little child. Now, how do children receive things? Well, if you were to come to church on Sunday morning, there's a whole load of uh, children, now little children. And, and let me tell you some scenes that you might see. So you might see in, in one corner a child who is pretending to be a dinosaur. And they're running around dressed up like a dinosaur, attempting to knock over all the other children's towers, being a right pain. And then suddenly dad will say, lunch is ready. And the little ch- child will snap out of dinosaur mode, go over to dad and just hold their hands out. And dad will give them lunch. What have they done to deserve it? What have they done to earn it? They didn't buy anything for that lunch. They didn't work to earn the money to get the lunch. They've done nothing in the past five minutes or indeed the whole morning to deserve that lunch. And yet they've just held their hands out with nothing and said, dad's just given it to them. Or you can go upstairs to the creche and see the the very little children who are there. Now, for some reason in Britain today, there's an unwritten code that we have to say that babies are cute. If you've done creche, you'll know that they're not. If you spent an hour in crash and the baby has not stopped crying, you spent the whole day just wiping stuff off their faces, that's before you even get onto the nappies. And you'll know that the baby has contributed nothing useful for the whole morning. They can't talk to you, they just cry. They can't play with you, they just cry. They contribute nothing. And yet still the, the mother comes up at the end and takes the baby in the arms and gives them the bottle and they receive it. The baby has nothing, they just receive it. And Jesus says, that's how you get into the kingdom of God. Like a little child, you receive it. You don't come to God with, with hands that are full of stuff you can give to him. You don't come with your riches, your, your talents. You don't come with anything to give it to God and say, look, God, now I can get into heaven. What, what, what do I have to do? What more do I have to do to get into heaven? You don't, you just come and receive it. Like a little child. It's impossible for you and I to do anything. To get us into God's kingdom. And yet, as we come helplessly like little children holding our hands out, we can receive it from God. What is impossible for us to do, it's not impossible with God. With God, all things are possible. Of course, Jesus says this as he is on the road to the cross. And the cross is the the place where you, you see ultimately that there is nothing that we can do to get us into heaven the cross makes no sense if there's something that we could do to get into heaven. Why would God put to death his only son on a cross, putting him through all that torment and agony if actually there was something I could do to get me into heaven? It just doesn't make sense. No, God put his own son to death on a cross because it was only through Jesus' death as we receive that, that we come into God's kingdom. All our sin, all our badness, all our idolatry was placed on Jesus. He absorbed the punishment that it deserved. His perfectly good life swapped in place of our bad lives. At the cross, God has done everything that's needed to get us into heaven, making what was impossible for us now possible as we receive it from him. So what do we have to do? Nothing. Just receive the kingdom. Receive eternal life. That's the second lesson Jesus wants us to learn about riches As we come to God, none of us have riches to present to him. It's impossible for rich people to get into the kingdom. We just receive it from God. The third thing, verse 29 to 31. It's the poor who are truly rich. Look down with me at verse 29 through 31. In fact, let's start with verse 28. Peter spoke up, we have left everything to follow you. As you look down at Peter's question in verse 28, you can hear the the sort of nervousness, desperation in his voice as he says it. We've left everything to follow you. Jesus just said to him, it's impossible to to get in. And he's thinking, I've given up everything. Is Is it worth it? Is it going to be worth it? What's the point of giving up everything to follow Jesus? What's the point of placing him as supreme value when we have to give up so much? Is it worth it? Well, Jesus' answer is yes. Overwhelmingly yes. Yes, it is worth it. It is worth giving up everything to follow him. Notice that he says it's worth it both now and forever. See, often we just think in forever categories. We think it's going to be worth it in the future, forever, to give things up. But notice what Jesus says. People who give up all those things, none of them will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. And we don't expect Jesus to say that. We expect him just to say that the heaven part, but not the stuff in this present age. But that is what he says. No one who's left all those things will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields. Now, how does that make sense? Well, Jesus is not teaching a prosperity gospel type thing where You give something to God and then he gives you a hundred times in return. He's not teaching that. We've just seen you receive from God. You don't give God anything you receive from him. He's not teaching that. And also you see, you receive those things with persecutions in verse 30, along with persecutions. He's not just saying you'll have an easy life. You get a hundred times as much along with persecutions. But right now you do get homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields in this present age. I think what Jesus is talking about here is the the great joy, the riches you have of being part of a church family. Even as you give up everything, your whole life, your whole previous life to follow Jesus, what you gain is the blessing of a church family. That is relationships and places to stay and people to know a hundred times as much as you come into his kingdom as part of the church. I was reminded this week of of the testimony of a a lady called Rosaria Butterfield. Rosaria Butterfield was uh, was a lesbian and tenured professor of queer theory at Syracuse University in the States. She was something of a, a champion of the LGBT movement. She had no time for the Christian faith, and her whole life was built around her identity as a lesbian. But she writes in her book, Secret thoughts of an unlikely convert about how, through the faithful witness of a, a Christian pastor, she became a Christian. And she describes her conversion to Christianity as being like a train wreck. That's the word she used. Just think about it. She, to become a Christian, she left her girlfriend, she left the house they lived in, she left her job, she left the community she was part of, she left the respect of people in that community, she left everything. In her words, I lost everything except the dog. That's what she said. Her whole life gone, given up everything to follow Jesus. And yet, when you read her books, one thing that often shines through more than anything is the warmth and love and joy she feels in the church. It just comes out again and again and again as you read it. Her love for the church, the hospitality she experiences and gives out in the church. Despite having left her whole previous life behind, this lady has gained a whole church community globally. Yes, persecution. Yes, plenty of rejection. Yes, plenty of difficulty. But this woman who's lost everything in becoming a Christian has actually gained, in Jesus' words, a hundred times as much in this present age. And of course, that is just this present age. There is also the age to come, eternal life. In the age to come, says Jesus, there is eternal life. No one in heaven will ever regret giving up anything to follow Jesus. You can imagine it a million years into eternity. As people sit around talking about life in this world. No one there is going to say, oh, if, only I, if only I'd given up less. No one's going to say, mm, on balance, it probably wasn't worth it. As you sit around enjoying the, the wonders of heaven. Where all sadness and bad things have gone forever. Where persecution is over. Where health is restored. Where fulfillment is found forever in God's presence with the Lord Jesus. No one is going to say it wasn't worth it. No, in this present age and in the age to come, it's worth it. So that's the third lesson is the poor, those who've given stuff up for Jesus who are truly rich, both now and forever. So as we close, look down with me at verse 31. See, like this rich man, many will try to be first in this world. They'll try to be first, hold other things of supreme value than Jesus. But they will turn around and sadly walk away from Jesus and away from eternal life. The first will be last. But the last will be first. Anyone who gives up everything to follow Jesus, to place him as the one with supreme value in our lives. Anyone who's willing to receive the kingdom like a little child, anyone who does that will be first. That is, enjoy things in this present age and be in eternal life in the age to come. It's worth it. Will you deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Jesus? Let's pray together. Our Father, please would none of us turn around and walk away from Jesus sad. Sad because we're not prepared to give up something else of supreme value to us. Our wealth, our status, anything our money can buy. Instead, Father, please would we be prepared to take up our cross, deny ourselves, follow the Lord Jesus. Receiving the kingdom like little children. I'm ready to enjoy the blessings of this present age along with persecutions and then to get to eternal life with you forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.